Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hello, and welcome to Soccer Made in Portland on OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. My name is Chris Reifer, and joining me, as always, the Timbers and Thorns beat writer for the Oregonian and OregonLive.com, Jamie V. Goldberg. Jamie V., what's up? Um, Not much, but I, I guess I, I'm doing a bit better uh, <laughs> than I was when we attempted to record this podcast, I believe, last Thursday. Um, there, there's just a better, lighter mood. Um, I think for, <laughs> yes. for many people right now, um, I'm hoping my computer feels the same way because I, I think after I played the highlights, uh, from that RSL game on it, it, it just decided, um, it, it was going to break last week, but I'm hoping after the Vancouver game, it's going to do a little bit better and we're going to get a full podcast here. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, we missed last week's podcast, but, um, I, I think, people might actually appreciate that as it's going to be a little bit more positive than it would have been last Thursday. Yes. Uh, public service, uh, on, on behalf of your, uh, your computer last week, uh, in breaking down and not letting us record. Uh, although you know who was unquestionably hard done by that, the thorns, because yes. we didn't get an opportunity that to is. talk about their big win over the courage, uh, when it was fresh in mind, but we will nonetheless talk about it and recap all of it. Uh, today, we have a lot of ground to cover, so let's just jump right on in. We'll start off with the Timbers. 4-1 loss to RSL. That was last Wednesday at Providence Park, uh, as I'm sure a lot of folks would like uh, to forget. Uh, my prediction was a 2-1 win with the Laris Mabiala goal. That did not happen, although he did have a, a good opportunity in the first half that, you know, is one of those moments where you're like, ah, that could have changed the course of the game, but it didn't. Um, you were calling a three, two Timbers win with a Diego Valeri hat trick. Uh, that, that hat trick would have been the first in, uh, in Timbers history had it come off. It did not. So, okay. We, we move right along. Uh, zero points all around, I think is the, the, uh, the clear, clear yes. result for both of us. Uh, I don't think there's any, uh, further need to go into that. Uh, as usual, when we do poorly, we move on. Uh, and we move on to a fun little game that I like to call Assign the Blame. Uh, because, you know, when we can't uh, assign blame for our own terrible predictions, we will assign blame uh, for, you know, the play uh, and, and the way a game uh, between the Timbers and, and RSL went. So you have three categories. 100 points. You have to assign 100 uh, blame points for three categories. We have a guest on the show today going on right now. Um, in, in the background, Jamie's, Jamie's dog getting in on the podcast action, which we like. Um, he, however, is, is not in, in the assign the blame game. Three categories. Number one, the players, 
Number two, Caleb Porter. And number three, Baldomero Toledo. How do you assign the 100 blame points as between those three people slash groups? Yeah, um, I think you can't blame the referee all too much for this game. Uh, I, I honestly didn't think. Uh, I think overall he did a pretty good job uh, on the major calls in the game. The biggest questionable call for me was the red card to Kyle Beckerman. So that's not something that really uh, was bad for the Timbers. Uh, that, in fact, probably helped the scoreline from getting much worse for Portland. Um, I, I think maybe... There was moments he could have done a better job of uh, maybe controlling the match as it was getting a little bit chippy. Um, but overall, I, I think he did a fine job. I'll give him 2% of the blame just for maybe in moments letting it get a little bit more physical than it needed to be. Um, but I, I think as referees go, uh, even though there was a lot of anger coming out of that game, I, I think much of it was undeserved. Um, in, in terms of the rest of the blame, I, I'm going to give... 58 points to the players and 40 points to Porter. Um, I, I think it was a tough performance from the team. I think when you look at particularly Audie um, making the decision to get that red card, um, losing his cool completely against Kyle Beckerman, I, I mean, that was just an unprofessional play. It really hurt the team, both in their chances of potentially coming back in that game um, and going forward with the the suspension that he earned. Um I think the defense was not good enough in the first half. That's been a major problem. And once again, at home, uh, the group didn't have the performance you need. Obviously the Timbers were missing players, but uh, you were expecting maybe a game where the Timbers weren't up to their best without some of their best players, but you aren't expecting a four, one loss at home. I think you pointed out that that was their worst defeat at Providence Park since I, I believe 2005. So that, that was an embarrassing loss and a lot of that's on the players. But I think a part of that and a good part of that is on Porter as well because the players have to be mentally ready for these games. Even when they're missing players, that's why the Timbers supposedly have had the depth. Uh, that's something they talked about a lot in preseason, put together a team where they believe they have depth and, and players that can step up in, in circumstances where injuries and absences are a concern. Um, the club had enough talent to put in at least a decent performance against RSL, particularly at home. And, and I think Porter holds a, a decent amount of the blame for not getting them ready to do that. Uh, especially when you look on kind of the run they had had, um, obviously we'll get to the most recent game, but up until that RSL game, winning just two games out of 13, six game winless streak. This is a team that has had opportunities to win and, and found ways uh, over and over again to get the bare minimum uh, out of the game that they should um, dropped points when they were absolutely in positions where they should have been walking away with all three. And I think that does come down uh, to a coach getting a team ready to play. Um, and while I think the players hold more of the blame, they're, they're the ones on the field. They're the ones that have to be ready to go. once they step in between the lines, I, I definitely think Porter deserves his fair share of blame for this one as well. Yeah, I, I broadly agree. I'm going to go with, I, I am going to say this is 75% on the players because I think they bear an awful lot of responsibility when it comes to uh, with being ready for games. Look, I mean, they're professional athletes. Uh, and, and while a coach certainly uh, has, has a big part in, in, in preparing a team, a lot of that's on the players too, and they didn't look like they were ready. Uh, they absolutely bungled. Any number of situations through the course of the game, whether it is uh, a matter uh, of the penalty, 
that Daimarona Spria gave up uh, in, in in the second half, whether it's uh, a matter of coming out flat, sort of a, a, as I noted, and, and even, you know, coming out even looking a little bit confused uh, in light of some of their absences, that's on them as well as it's on Caleb Porter. And so that's not something where I think you can just say one party is at fault where the other is not. Uh, and then obviously in the way that, that, that Fernando Adi uh, handled himself, which was despicable, to be honest. Uh, and it's something that we've seen from this group now repeatedly. Uh, that was their fourth violent conduct red card just in the last two months, going back to the Montreal game. Three of those uh, came over the course, uh, you know, came sort of not in the run of play. The only one that was in the run of play was Victor Arboleda's uh, a little bit before that. And that's not necessarily an excuse, but... You know, I mean, there, there, there is a difference between uh, getting into a challenge uh, in, in a way that's dangerous or, or, or sort of uh, having the run of play, getting a little bit carried away in the run of play, and then going out and retaliating against somebody. And the reality is the Timbers have done that three times now over the course of the last two months. That's just not good enough. I, I mean, you can't do that. You absolutely can't put your yourself and your team in that position. And, and hey, look, I mean, you can you can look at, Adi's, Adi's red card and say, well, they were down two goals and they were down a man already. Did it really matter? And, and hey, I mean, the RSL was equally sort of on the brink of that game, of being out of control in that game. They certainly looked uh, like they may have, in fact, they may have, uh, in fact, leveled up the, the, the numbers and, and the Timbers very well could have still come back. I mean, would you bet on that? No, but it's also not out of the realm of possibilities. But when you go down uh, and, and you go down to nine, even if it's nine v 10, uh, in a game that you're down two goals, that's it. Game's over. And, and, and it's over because uh, Fernando Adi couldn't control himself. Uh, and that's not good enough. You know, yes, it happens in soccer. Yes, guys do once in a while lose their cool. Uh, but it's happening way too much. And that is on the players. Again, these are professionals. They are guys uh, that are getting paid to do this for a living. And when you're getting paid to do something like that for a living, and that's happening with frequency, that's that's there's nobody else that you, that you can sort of turn to. That shouldn't be happening under any circumstances, regardless of Porter, regardless Gavin Wilkinson, regardless referees, that shouldn't be happening. And so I think they do bear, bear a good chunk, and so I'm going to give them 75%, even just for that game. I'm going to give Caleb Porter 35%, uh, basically for the reasons you said. Uh, I, I, I think they, they, looked, they did look confused, and he bears responsibility for that. Uh, yes, given... Uh, they did not have uh, sort of an ideal defensive midfield pairing. Yes, given uh, they had sort of had to change up the way they were going to put together their back line uh, as the result of the I- injuries to Vitas and, and to Marco Farfan during the course of the week. You know, all of those are, are things that, that, that Porter has to manage. But look, he also had a couple weeks off with this team. He, he, he had lots of time to prepare, lots of time to get them ready. Uh, and they weren't, and and they got run off the field by RSL in, in, in the first half, and were maybe even a little bit lucky to be down only one zero going into halftime. So that is certainly a porter, uh, and, and and generally, I mean, the, these sort of long-standing discipline issues. Uh, yes, the, the the players I think are probably primarily responsible for that. Uh, but look, I mean, it, it comes to a matter uh, of mentality and it comes down to a matter uh, of the attitude within the locker room when you see this happening over and over and over again. And I think it's perfectly reasonable to ask questions of Porter and, and to assign to him some responsibility uh, for that when you see this becoming a pattern. I'm going to give Baltimore, you may, you may have been doing the math and you're like, wait a minute, 75 plus, 30, because I'm giving Baltimore Toledo negative 10% responsibility for the Timbers. 
Which is my way of saying the Timbers should be sending Toledo thank you cards more than anything. Yes, there were, there were of course, as there always are, uh, a, a few calls that you can go back to, mo- largely minor calls, frankly, that you can go back to uh, and, and blame him, you know, and, and maybe say, hey, he should have called this differently, he should have called that differently. Uh, I didn't think there was anything particularly egregious uh, in the game, but, you know, I mean, uh, that's that. Uh, you know, I, I mean, as far as controlling the game, honestly, I don't know if there's that much more that he could have done. I mean, he did in that first half sort of pull out a couple quick uh, yellow cards, a little bit soft yellow cards, one on Zarek Valentin, the other on uh, Albert Rusnak, basically like two minutes apart, I think. Uh, and, and that is sort of the tool in his toolbox to be able to say, hey, OK, bring it down. You all need to bring this game under control. I, I, I thought the game getting a little bit out of control was just really about the players uh, and, and not so much. Uh, about Toledo. I thought it was a difficult game for him to call. Uh, I thought he, by and large, did did a decent job uh, of doing so. But the reason the Timbers should be sending him uh, thank you cards is he gave a, a, a totally phantom red card to Kyle Beckerman, right? I mean, the Timbers should have been down to 9v11 uh, after Adi decided to lose his head. Uh, the Timbers should have been down two men and two goals. And, 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 you know, if there was one sort of ray of hope left in that game, it was the fact that Beckerman also got sent off uh, and that was totally on Toledo. He, the the ma- only major mistake that Toledo made in that game was significantly to the Timbers' benefit. And so uh, I, I, as far as Toledo's contribution to that flying off the rails for the Timbers, frankly, it was negative. Uh, arguably, Baltimore Toledo was the best thing the Timbers had going on the day. And, 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 and that's, you know, <laughs> not good. Um, okay, well, that was fun. I like a sign they blame. That, the, 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 that's something that we, we, we got to come back to. Giving points... For badness. That was nice. Uh, Michael wants to know, which was worse, the 2015 U.S. Open Cup for the Sounders or the Timbers meltdown against RSL? That is, uh, I, I really feel like the, the 2015 Open Cup uh, for Seattle is is like the, now the gold standard of meltdowns. So how does the Timbers compare to that gold standard? Yeah, uh, there, there's definitely some similarities there. Um, you know, Seattle loses someone to injury. It comes at a much worse time um, than losing Obafemi Martins at a point when they can't make an s- extra sub. Um, the Timbers do lose Chance Myers uh, early in the game when, um, I, I guess at the end of the first half, when they're dealing with such a depleted back line that they don't have any fullback subs on the bench. Um, so both of those were big. And, and then um, the red cards um, to Seattle, obviously Audis, um, in the case of the Timbers game was a, a red card that he absolutely deserved and where he completely lost his cool. You, you look at Clint Dempsey and, and that's a similar situation. Now, Clint Dempsey's red card, I, I think if someone down the road is making a list of most hilarious or most ridiculous um, red cards um, in the history, I, I think that one has to be on the list. Um, that was something I, I don't think we're going to see again, uh, <laughs> very likely. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's some similarities, but the Seattle melt meltdown kind of was in a, its own, its own level. Um, I, I think that goes down, like you said, as the gold standard of meltdowns and, and Clint Dempsey tearing up the referee's notebook. I'm not sure you can beat a red card like that. So, um, Maybe this is a slightly good sign for the Timbers, but uh, I think the Seattle meltdown was worse. So the Seattle meltdown being a, a little bit worse, I think that's a fair call. But here's here's how I break it down. So I would say they were sort of on par as far as stupidity goes, right? 
the, the, the Sounders definitely did some really dumb things in that game. Uh, but, you know, I mean, in many respects for the Sounders, it was sort of like stupidity and, ba- and bad luck sort of like compounding on top of each other. I mean, Obafemi Martin's getting hurt two minutes after. Uh, the Sounders make their last substitute. You know, I mean, there are the, all those sorts of things. Uh, that there were definitely some pieces of bad luck that went into that game uh, for Seattle, but nonetheless, they they made things so so much worse on them, themselves with the stupidity. I, I think the Timbers' stupidity was probably about on par with that when it comes to you know, I mean, the the Rash Arboleda challenge, uh, you know, Adi's idiocy, uh, the, the the Timbers' disorganization coming out. Uh, I think all of that is basically on par, but what it lacked and, and the reason why I don't think it measures up to the gold standard is it didn't have the same element of just shambolicalness, shambolicosity. Um, I don't know what the, the adjective there is, but but it didn't have that quality. I mean, it didn't have a garbage can being thrown on the field. It didn't have, you know, Ziggy Schmidt storming <laughs> off and going and standing over by the corner flag. And it didn't have, of course, as you noted, uh, the referee's book getting torn up. And so uh, in many ways, it, 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 you know, I mean, it, it was kind of like that level of like stupid and sad without the hilariousness on the back end. Whether that makes it, you know, better or worse, I think very much depends on your perspective. Um, but, you know, it, it did not have uh, the, the ridiculousness uh, of the Open Cup in 2015. Okay, cheerier subject. The Timbers went up to Vancouver and I think basically against everybody's uh, everybody's predictions, certainly including ours. Uh, the Timbers won two to one. Uh, in a bit of a shock result. Uh, you called a three zero or one loss. I forgot to put this down in the mental notes. Uh, for the Timbers, uh, I called a four one. Uh, a four one loss. I I think it is fair to say that we both, you know, mailed that in pretty good. Uh, and and, and it's probably you know right just to walk away from that as well. Uh, with nothing for for the two of us, but nonetheless, uh, you you by the way for your uh for your side bet had David Osted saving a penalty didn't happen. Uh, I had a Diron Espria missed sitter that didn't happen. I was sort of going for like the Espria and the new Milano, yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, you know, I, I I guess the big question is, is sort of how important is this win? Do you think this is a win? That's kind of a hey, we're turning a new leaf. Here we go now into the 2017 season that we thought we were going to have. Uh, or is this just a blip on the radar? I, I think this is a huge win. Um, from one perspective, I, I think it's huge because this is the kind of game had they gone up and, and lost 4-1 to one again coming off the Salt Lake game. Despite the absences, it, it would have been, I, I think, such a demoralizing week that that's the kind of result that that puts a team in the potential of going into a downward downward spiral obviously they would have been getting players back but at that point it would have been winless in seven uh only winning two of the last 14 and and having two blowouts in a row um that's something that i I think a lot of teams will struggle to recover from especially at this point in the season and so i think they avoid the potential of us talking about today you know are is this team in a downward spiral and potentially losing all confidence and actually heading in that direction um at the same time, I think it can be a turning point for the season. This is the kind of big win with your backs against the wall that I, I think spur teams on. Um, I, I think when you look at even the 2015 season that came later in the year, but going to RSL and then going to LA where no one expected the Timbers to win, I, I think was a big um, game that helped give the Timbers momentum heading into the playoffs and ultimately uh, allowing them to 
you know, win their final game against Colorado and then go into the playoffs and go on the run they did. Um, so games like this can be turning points. Now the Timbers have to make this a turning point. I, I mean, this game was a big result, but if they go into next week at Houston, um, which is going to be a very difficult game for multiple factors that we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, but if they go into Houston and have a terrible performance, uh, I, I, I think, you know, a tie in Houston would be a good result. Uh, it, it's going to be a difficult game, but if they go in and have a terrible performance, a replica of RSL, they failed to take advantage with, with, of what could be a turning point in their season. And then you're looking at this game and saying, yeah, that Vancouver win was a big result. It, it helped prevent the team maybe from going into a downward spiral at that moment, but it wasn't the turning point that you might've hoped it could be. So I, I think we still have to kind of see where this is going to go a little bit. Um, but it was a gutsy win and it was important. Um, come, especially coming off that RSL game to prove a point and not just have another terrible performance. Yeah. I think that's a perfectly fair take, uh, in, you know, in, insofar as how, you, you know, if you lose that game and especially if you lose it badly, it very much could be one of those things where the season is getting away from you. And, and, and you're right that it only gets harder, right? Because going down to Houston, that is probably the hardest road trip in MLS. Uh, it's going to be 96 degrees uh, down there on uh, on Saturday, which uh, as somebody who likes cool weather, that sounds like straight up Hades. Uh, I, I say that because we're, of course, a family show. Uh, but that that sounds like straight up Hades to me. And, and so, you know, I mean, they are 8-0-2 in Houston for a reason, the Dynamo are. Uh, and, and yeah, you could easily see... You know, you go up, if maybe our predictions have been right, maybe you lose three or four to one uh, up in Vancouver, you turn around, you're looking at a Houston game where, I mean, gosh, you could easily go down there and lose sort of by a similar margin. And all of a sudden you're turning around looking at a stretch of games in which the Timbers have been outscored, you know, 10, 12 to one uh, or, or, or two over the course of three games. Uh, and that's not good. I mean, that, that is the stuff that, that, that nosedives are made of. Uh, and so for that reason, I, I think it sort of keeps a pin in that, uh, but nonetheless, I mean, you know, it, it's hard to say unless you can string results together that it's really sort of a big turning point. And gosh, I mean, this is a really, really tough one to negotiate uh, to try to get the, the that that result strung together. So we'll see. I'm I'm reluctant to call it sort of a turning point when I, I do think it was important for the reason you noted. There are important points, just period. Three points uh, from a Western Conference opponent, especially on the road, uh, are three big points. Uh, and, and so then the Whitecaps are very much a playoff contender this year. And so for that reason, uh, it, it's a big result, but you know, I mean, am I going to, going to sort of go on, on, onto the hot take platform and, and say, this is going to be what turns the timber season around? No, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I think the biggest talking point is from a player perspective coming out of this, we're going to talk around kind of a couple other points from the game as we go along, but, uh, Jeremy Obobese first MLS start. Can't imagine it going a whole lot better. He he gets the the opening goal. He sets up the the, the winning goal. Goal and assist for him uh, in his first MLS start. What do you think? Do you think this is uh, the performance he needed to sort of put his mark in the in, in with the team uh, to say that he deserves to get more playing time than he's had? I think it should be, and I think if Caleb Porter doesn't give him more playing time after this, it's a missed opportunity. And there are going to be a lot of questions about why Caleb Porter isn't um, giving him playing time. Um, 
I, I think what he showed here, he didn't, he didn't win the starting spot. I, I mean, it's Fernando Adi's spot. It, it, we're not going to see a Boba C in the starting lineup next week. But what he showed is that he can play at the MLS level and he can be a contributor. And, and you can see from his skill set that he provides something different from Adi. So he, after this game, coming out of this game, I, I think you have to look at him and say, this is a, a player that has talent that needs MLS minutes to continue to develop, which I, I think is really important and, and could be an asset off the bench late in games. Instead of having Audi go 90, which the Timbers have been doing a lot, uh, put Abobasi in, in, you know, 75th, 80th minute uh, and give the other team a change of pace, let him develop it and let him possibly uh, contribute, find some late goals. And, and that's what I think Caleb Porter needs to do. And I think it's going to be disappointing if we don't see that. Um, because he certainly has the skill set that can be useful for the Timbers down the road. We, we don't know. We've talked about it. We don't know if Audi will be here after this year. They want the succession plan at, at uh, Stryker. And, and this is a young kid that looks like he could be the real deal in MLS someday. But he's going to need MLS minutes uh, to develop. And after this performance, I, I don't think there's any reason not to give him those minutes off the bench. So... You know, I, I think for me, the answer is yes, it does earn him more playing time. Uh, it absolutely earns him more MLS playing time. And, and I agree that those are largely going to be, uh, you know, short of when Audi's out and, and, and that kind of stuff. There are largely going to be, you know, those 10, 15, 20 minute uh, appearances toward the end of games when you're either pulling Audi or you're going to uh, uh, to up front or, or, or doing something like that. But the Timbers have and, and have had other options in doing so. And I think, uh, if anything, this shows that Abobasi should be given a good chunk of priority for getting those minutes. And look, it's not easy uh, to, to, to sort of give a young guy like him uh, consistent minutes. It's, it's hard. And the reason it's hard is because there are lots of sort of like what we need in the now, there are, there are lots of options uh, of opportunities to be a prisoner of the moment, I guess is a good way to put it. And what I mean by that is prioritizing what the team needs in the now uh, and essentially letting that override what the team needs in the, for the long term. Uh, and, and we've seen that Abobasi, and, and, and I think this is very, very clear now, that he can contribute those in the now moments, even if not necessarily, uh, even as well, I, I think, as Porter said after the game, as maybe somebody like Darren Maddox. But who's your future here? It's Abobasi. And you've got to be getting him those first team minutes in particular. Does it? Does that mean he can't play for, uh, with T2? No, of course not. He should get some starts for T2. He should get to, you know, a good chunk of minutes for T2 going forward. But he also needs those minutes with guys like Sebastian Blanco on the field, with guys like Diego Valeri, with Darlington Nagby, with those kinds of guys on the field. Because as we saw, he's a different player. He's been a guy that frankly has struggled a bit with T2 uh, in front of a midfield that I think has not served him very well. Uh, that has not provided the service that he needs in order to get the touches, in order to find the runs, in order to find the spaces in the box. That did happen uh, on, on Sunday, and it happened in a very significant way. And, and, and so I think you you can see where he's he has so much more to gain uh, from those minutes with the first team than he does it from those minutes with T2. And so I hope uh, that Porter does sort of make the conscious effort now uh, to make sure that, you know, not necessarily every game, uh, but, you know, in, in the in, in the dozen remaining games this season that we do see uh, Obobese coming in six, eight times, maybe getting, you know, uh, a couple hundred minutes uh, out of out of those appearances. Maybe they have the Timbers have one midweek game left, maybe getting making sure to get him at least 30 minutes 
in one of those performances, say, for example, it's before the Seattle game, you don't want Adi to go 90 in that midweek game before going up to Seattle because you want him fresh. Make sure you get a Bobasi 30 minutes in that game. Uh, make sure you get maybe even start him. Get a Bobasi 60 minutes in that game so that you can go up with Adi fully ready to go on the weekend. That's the kind of stuff that the Timbers need to be getting him. I think they missed some opportunities to do so uh, earlier in the season. But I think now there's no excuse, right? Because you've seen he can do it. You've seen he can produce. And now it's about making the conscious effort to get him the time he needs to develop. Um, news. The Timbers signed New Zealand international uh, Bill Tuiloma today. They, he's a sort of a center back, a defensive midfielder. Uh, coming from the Marseille system, he's been uh, primarily with the Marseille second team for the last several years. He did uh, he, he, he did have one loan out uh, to another French side that is escaping me at the moment, despite the fact that I wrote the article about this. Um, but he is a New Zealand international. He's been a regular in uh, the All-Whites team over the course of the last couple of years and appeared in every single one all three, uh, of their uh, of their Confederations Cup game uh, over the course of the summer. In fact, he was the first guy off the bench in each of those games. Uh, 22 years old, uh, center back D-mid type. It sounds like he might be more of a center back long term, even if he is more of a D-mid right now. But uh, he, he's in uh, with the Timbers through the end of the season. He is signed. The, the Timbers also have uh, an option to keep him longer than that if he shows well. Uh, and where he'll slide in, sort of in among the Lawrence Olam... Amobio Kugo, Ben Zemanski uh, kind of range uh, of D-mid, center back, depth kinds of folks, uh, I think is the question. But that is probably where we're looking uh, to see him. He's not a guy that, that, that I think the Timbers expect to come in and start immediately. Uh, he's not a guy that the Timbers expect uh, to sort of be a, a sort of big minute getter. But uh, if he does come in and say, hey, you know, I am an upgrade from Amobio Kugo, you could certainly see him uh, being part of the team going forward. Uh, let's let's lay down a yes or no marker right here on this day that I it's July twenty fourth. We're recording on Monday. Uh, what, yes or no? Do the Timbers make the playoffs? Yes, uh, is is my answer. I, I think the Timbers benefit um, to some degree from the fact that the Western Conference just isn't as good as the Eastern Conference this year. I don't have a ton of confidence in teams right below the red line like San Jose. Um, the Timbers, there are teams that have some games in hand on the Timbers. So the standings are, you know, not very safe right now, but I think the Timbers get in. Um, I think they get in, in one of the lower spots. Um, we'll see if this is a turning point. We'll see if they prove me wrong, but I think that the teams below the red line are, aren't going to make a big push, uh, to make it a playoff spot. Um, but the Timbers have dropped a lot of points and they're not, I, even though they're not too many points. Um, they're only four points out of first place right now, although games in hand, uh, play a big role in that. Um, I still see them kind of getting in right around, uh, that playoff line, but definitely getting that playoff berth. I'm going to say yes, but I'm not super confident about it. Uh, I would say yes with like 60% confidence, but, uh, I will nonetheless put down my marker on the yes side, uh, of, of the question. Um, you know, the games in hand issue is, is, is an interesting one because games in hand, uh, is very much a double-edged sword, right? As I noted a moment ago, the Timbers only have one more midweek game uh, from here until the, the, the end of the season. So, and, and they do have at least two and maybe three instances in which they play on full rest. The Timbers play a team that played a midweek game before uh, coming, in, coming into their, their matchup with the Timbers. And, and, and so that is the double-edged sword, right? If you've, got, if you've only played 18 games, as some teams have, uh, or 19 games at this point of the season, 
you've got a lot of a lot of games to play and not a whole lot of time to play on. Uh, you're going to be playing a lot of Wednesdays. You're going to be playing a, a lot of those short turnarounds. Uh, and and when you do, I mean, as the Timbers have very very much experienced over the course of the last couple of months, frankly, you, you often drop points. You often pick up more injuries. That's absolutely been a factor for the Timbers. Uh, over the course of the last six or eight weeks or so in, in all the injuries they've had, they've just been playing a ton. And when you play a ton, you get injuries. Uh, and, and so I, in some ways, yes, you do want to have sort of the the, the points on the board, uh, but the points on the board come with the cost. And that, and that cost is that you got to play just a lot more soccer, a lot more minutes uh, as you're coming down the stretch in these important games. Okay, Timbers at Dynamo. As noted, Saturday, uh, I think it's a 7 o'clock, might be a 7.30 game, uh, but I think it's a 7 o'clock game. Uh, 96 degrees in Houston, that sounds glorious. Uh, Humid, because it's Houston. Uh, Not a place where I I think God intended people to live. Um, But in any event, let's sort of go down the availability check. Uh, Starting with David Guzman. Uh, Guzman and Costa Rica were knocked out, of course, uh, uh, of the Gold Cup by the United States. And accordingly, he will be back. Uh, Darlington Nagby, Alvis Powell, and Darren Maddox will all be in the Gold Cup final, uh, which will be on Wednesday evening. Which I think, and, 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 and let me know what you think about this, but I, I think probably means uh, that they will be back with the Timbers. They will be available, but I think they will be unlikely to start. Do you agree with that? Yeah, um, I think that's likely the case. I think that, I mean, I think Caleb Porter is going to be looking at Nagby specifically, um, potentially. Uh, we Our next availability check is Espria. Um, I'll just run through that right now. Caleb Porter said he rolled his ankle pretty badly. I, I think people saw that on the broadcast. Um, and he was concerned about what that meant for Spria going forward. We, we won't get a chance to talk to Porter about injury updates until Wednesday. Uh, so it's going to be a few days before we know Espria's availability. Um, I think if Espria is good to go, yeah, you're right. Pal, Maddox, Nagby, none of them start. Um, Maddox and Nagby could come off the bench, um, would be my guess. If Espria can't go, I, I think Caleb Porter is going to be giving Nagby a very careful look on, um, Thursday and Friday, just to figure out if there's at all possibility he can start it and maybe, you know, go 60, um, 70, something like that. Um, because the Timbers are going to have some real questions, uh, what to do with that role, maybe start Barbie, something else, but they're, they're going to have to go a little bit further down their depth chart. If Nagby can't go. Uh, and, and, and Vitas, it sounded like was the closer as between Vitas and Marco Farfin to being available, uh, this last week, it sounds like he obviously was not ultimately available. Would you infer from that that he is on the more probable side of questionable uh, when it comes to Houston, or are we getting a little over our skis there? Yeah, I'm not sure if I'd infer that. Farfan, yeah, Caleb Porter put a little bit more of a timeline on it, said he's out a couple weeks. Um, but Vitas wasn't back in training, and he was definitely out. It wasn't even a questionable for this game in Vancouver. I would not necessarily infer that he he's going to be good to go. Um, I think that's the one we're going to have to get an update on it. And again, we're not going to have an update on that um, until later in the week. So I would definitely at this point call Vitas questionable. Marco Farfan, I'm expecting to be out. So Michael wants to know if Espria can't go, how do you do it? You sort of talked about this in, 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 in passing, but do you platoon maybe Darlington Nagby and Darren Maddox, give one an hour and the other half an hour? Uh, do you start a Jack Barbie? Do you start a Victor Arboleda? What would you do in, in light of those challenges? I mean, I think if you can give Nagby an hour, you start him and give him an hour. 
um, and, and then either bring on Maddox um, or, or potentially there you bring on Barmby, um, depending on what you think of Maddox's form coming out of the Gold Cup. I, I think that would be the option that Caleb Porter would be looking to do if he can, but it's really going to depend on where, where he thinks Nagby's at. You don't want to push a player like Nagby and then get him injured um, by overdoing it. So you, he's really going to have to look at what uh, the training staff and the sports science staff are saying in terms of what they think Nagby can do and what Nagby's saying himself as well. So I think if they determine that Nagby cannot do that, that that's just an unreasonable amount of minutes. I, I My guess is that Barbie um, starts, but he's obviously been out with some injury um injuries as well uh so i don't know where his form's at right now um he's been back from injuries from his injury i think for a game or two at this point um but i we don't know exactly where his fitness is at if they feel like he's at the form that he was in before um but if you're not going to start maddox or nagby i think barmby's the one that's next up on the depth chart you know, I'm just so reluctant with those two guys, Nagby and Maddox, though, because, I mean, it, look, yeah, after playing the final, uh, if they were to go and, and, and do another quick turnaround, because they've been basically playing with two or three days off uh, through this Gold Cup elimination round, I think they'd be looking at something like their fourth game in 11 or 12 days. Uh, they've both been playing basically regular minutes, basically starting minutes. Uh, Nagby, I think, was subbed off in the first game against El Salvador, but in like the 87th minute or something like that. So he basically put in uh, a full effort. Uh, Maddox has been seeing heavy, heavy minutes for Jamaica as they've really relied on him. And and frankly, he's had a very good uh, tournament for for Jamaica as well. Uh, So I am so reluctant, especially in light of the injury issues, especially in light of the fact that they're going down to Houston. It's going to be hot. It's going to be humid. That just screams to me, even with Darlington Nagby, who's a bit of a rubber arm, that just screams to me popped hamstring uh, and, and is not something that, that frankly, I would entertain seriously. So, I, frankly, I, I would uh, maybe, you know, have those guys on the bench to be sure uh, for 20 or 30 minutes uh, of availability. But, you know, in many ways, I almost think the result is is why it would be wise to, you know, <laughs> lose some possibility of getting the result uh, in order to make sure you don't ding those guys up uh, going forward. And so I would look to somebody like Jack Barmby or a Victor Arboleda. As between the two, I think it's kind of an interesting argument because obviously Arboleda gives you so, so much more uh, on the break than, than Barmby does. And going to Houston, uh, a team that you certainly want to keep your lines compact and, and organized against, uh, the Timbers are probably going to be looking to play on the break a bit. They are a, the, the Dynamo are a team uh, that you can counterattack. They are a backline that you can get after, and they're a defensive midfield that you can get after. Uh, so, so certainly that that's there, and, and Arboleda sort of provides an enticing option in that respect if he can give you an hour. Uh, but he's not nearly defensively, uh, and and not nearly the two way player uh, that Jack Barmby would be on on that wing. So I think that would be an interesting decision for Porter, but certainly that decision is, is is where I would be focusing rather than trying to press Nagby or Maddox uh, back in back into duty because I, I just think that is too much and, and, and given the horrible injury luck that the Timbers have had to date that's just a fire that I wouldn't want to play with um okay here is sort of a related question that I think uh, is one that's been on a lot of people uh, a lot of people's minds and it, and it comes up in light of Sebastian Blanco frankly over the course of this bad stretch, one of the few bright spots has been Blanco. Over his last seven games, he has three goals. He has three assists. Uh, he got a goal and an assist uh, in Vancouver as well, the winning goal and, and the secondary assist on the opener. 
Uh, and he's done it almost exclusively from the left side of midfield, which raises a question. That's where Darlington Nagby had been playing before he's called out on international duty, et cetera, et cetera. When Nagby returns, how do you think the Timbers should set up that midfield? What should they do uh, about that much coveted now left wing spot? I mean, I, I don't think you move Blanco at this point, not with the way he's been playing. I, I think that Nagby has shown that he can be useful from the right wing, from the left wing, from the number eight spot. I, I think he brings slightly different things. But the big reason they had Nagby uh, kind of playing, um, Caleb Porter heading this into this season, playing on the left wing is because they expected him to get mu- get more production from that area. I think in, sometimes that's been the case. But Nagby has two goals and three assists. Blanco is producing from that side. And I think Nagby's still going to provide a lot in transition. He's still going to be the guy he is, 1v1 situations from the right wing. Um, But you don't take Blanco out of a spot that he seems to be hot um, and seems to be getting those assists and getting those goals at the moment. So that's my feeling. Uh, Nagby's still going to give you what you need in, in transition and in other aspects. And maybe you lose a little bit production, but... Blanco's producing more from that left wing than Nagby was. And I think you stick with that. So I, I broadly agree uh, as to your first point, that you do not move uh, Seba Blanco off that left wing. Uh, I, I, I think that is that that is probably sort of priority number one uh, in light of just how good he's been over the course of, of the last uh, couple couple months. There is one more more option that I that I want to point out, though. And that is putting Nagby uh, at the 10 uh, as as sort of a a nominal 10 and shifting Diego Valeri out to a nominal spot, a free spot from the right wing. We've seen Valeri be successful. They did that a ton in 2013 to actually pretty good success, including when Valeri floated out to that wider spot from which he had tons of freedom uh, and and really took to operating from, from, from that space. It makes him a little bit trickier for D mids to pick up. It makes him a little bit trickier for, for back lines to sort out how they're going to step to him. Who's going to step to him. Is it going to be the center back? Is it going to be the fullback? Uh, how are they going to do that? If the Timbers can get an overlapping presence coming over the top, looking at you, uh, Zarek Valentin, looking at you, uh, Alvis Powell, if they can get that to provide the width, I actually think that's a spot from which, from which Valeri can have success. I think that central spot is a spot from which Darlington Nagby can can have a good amount of success. And I think, that as, as we've talked about, this left wing spot is a spot that Sebastian Blanco is really making his own and, and is becoming the, the, the player that the Timbers hoped he was going to be, right? He's still a, a, a two-way player. His work rate is excellent, uh, but he's also now starting to really chip in goals and assists. Uh, and if that's the case, and Caleb Porter can sort of figure out this puzzle, we could see this Timbers attack become uh, what we thought it would be, and then they would make us both look smart for being on the yes side of whether they're going to be going to the playoffs. Uh, sort of a lightning round of questions, so let's hit it. Uh, Robert wants to know, if the Timbers miss the playoffs, if it lands on the no side of our of our poll earlier, is Caleb Porter let go? I, I, I'd like to give this an alternative title from Brad. Uh, was Wednesday evening against RSL, Caleb Porter's Cal FC? I, I mean, I, I think... <clears throat> I don't think it was Caleb Porter's Cal FC because Cal FC obviously led pretty much directly to John Spencer being let go. I, I think the fact that Caleb Porter um, led his team to a win in Vancouver almost cancels that game out in, in the sense of where the, you're looking at his future with the club. Um, so no, I, I don't think that game was his Cal FC though. That was a terrible game at home and, and one of multiple games that I think Merritt Paulson will have to look back at at the end of this year 
Uh, it's not just going to be that RSL game that d- determines Caleb Porter's fate, but one of multiple games that Mayor Paulson is going to have to look back at the end of this year if the Timbers don't make playoffs. And, and I think that's a big, a big line. If the Timbers don't make playoffs, especially if they drop down to you know that eight nine uh, spot in the standings and do not have a good end this season. That's when I do think Caleb Porter shops on the line. And I, I think Merritt Paulson has to think very hard about that. I, I think with John Spencer, it, it was a little bit easier um, because I, I don't think the communication lines between Spencer and the front office were really open at that point. I think there was a more discord at that, at that point, and, and it made sense uh, to part ways with him. Caleb Porter has a great relationship uh, with Gavin Wilkinson and, and Merritt Paulson. I do not think that would be an easy decision. Um, not that the Spencer one was easy, but I, I think it would be a very difficult decision um, for Merritt Paulson to make if he decides to move away from Caleb Porter. And given the success Porter has had in 13 and 15, um, I, I don't think it's for sure. If they're out of playoffs, he he's not with the team this next year. Uh, but that's the line for me. If they're out of playoffs, that's two years in a row. Timbers don't make playoffs. It's the talent looked to be like it was there this year. Um, and you would think in most situations, that's when a change has to happen. And there's a lot of games, the RSL one included, that uh, you can look back on and wonder if Caleb Porter did enough to lead his team to in the right direction. I, I, I don't want to put it as, yes, Caleb Porter is absolutely out uh, if they don't make playoffs, but I think that's really going to be a question. And that's the line. You know, for me, I, I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty clear cut. This Timbers team is good enough and the Timbers have invested enough in this team that quite simply, if they're not in the playoffs, I do think Porter's gone. And, and it's not that I think he, he should be, you know, gone in disgrace. I, I think he should be gone with both gratitude and respect. Uh, but look, I mean, this team is good enough that it is his job uh, injuries and absences and suspensions and, and and international duty notwithstanding, it is his job to get this team into the playoffs. And you can understand uh, if, you know, maybe they're in the three or four or five seed rather than the one or two seed because of sort of the adversity that they faced over the course of the season. But look, if, if they're not at least getting in uh, and if they're not getting in under circumstances where you look at them and say, yeah, this is a, a, a team that you've got to contend with in the playoffs – I, I, I think it is a little bit more clear cut. I, I mean, I, and I, I think that would be the time at which uh, the Timbers brass would would very seriously consider. And I, I think probably would have to uh, say that they're going a little, in a little bit of a different direction uh, w- with the coaching situation. Uh, that said, I, I, you know, as we noted before, I think he's going to be the coach in 2017 uh, because I think without great confidence that the Timbers will ultimately get into the playoffs. And, 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 and if they do that, I do think in light of all the adversity, that would be enough uh, to stick with Porter uh, over the course of at least next season. Uh, McGee wants to know, let's make some predictions. In which game will the Timbers have its first 11 once again? Uh, just just for clarity's sake, I'm clarifying uh, this. McGee, if you want to be mad, go ahead. Uh, that includes Liam Ridgewell uh, at left center back, uh, Vitas at left back, uh, and everybody else who are the all the other obvious and let's say either Zarek Valentin or Alvis Powell because flip a coin as to those two but when will the Timbers have that first choice 11 uh, available to them once again I'm going with uh, <laughs> maybe September 9th at New York City or maybe even 
September 16th at RSL on New York City's long trip. Liam Richwell is supposedly out six to eight weeks, and the fact that he had the re-injury and has been out all roughly the majority of the season with injuries and can't seem to stay healthy doesn't give me a lot of confidence that he's going to be back on the six-week side of that six to eight weeks. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if this is one that lingers on. So I think it's possible that we're looking at September 9th, September 16th. I, we're not going to see that first first one through all of August. And um, Liam's going to be back just as they're, you know, pretty much in the home stretch of the season. I'm going to be a little bit more optimistic than you. I'm going to go ahead and say he does come back a little bit quicker uh, or sort of on the quicker side of that uh, of that window uh, and that he comes back for the Red Bulls game on August 18th. And that will be the first time uh, that the Timbers will have uh, sort, of, sort of everybody back in the band back together, so to speak. I think I'm probably going to be wrong about that. But, hey, uh, why not be a little bit optimistic? Uh, Pretty Penguin wants to know how much of the recent struggles uh, for the Timbers come to bear on Porter and Wilkinson. Um, yeah, I, I think that obviously Caleb Porter, Gavin Wilkinson are always going to have to take responsibility from this. But I mean, we talked a little bit about Caleb Porter and I, I think he bears a lot of responsibility for getting the team ready, um, for making sure they have the right mentality. And that has been an issue, um, specifically the mentality and, um, that side of the game has been an issue recently. And Caleb Porter's job is to build the right culture in this locker room. So I think he does bear a lot of responsibility. Uh, for the for the recent struggles, I think it's and I, I think a lot of fans um, might disagree, but I think it's harder to look at Wilkinson and what players are on this team and, and say that he bears a ton of responsibility. I, I mean, at the beginning of the year, we were looking at this attack and saying this is the best attack the Timbers have ever had, and I, I think that's correct. Um, I, I think this is the best attack the Timbers have ever had. I, I think they made a big pickup by bringing in Davi Guzman. I think that they had what seemed like an okay um, center back situation heading into the season. And Arakoya went down in preseason. You can't predict that as a general manager. I think Gavin Wilkinson maybe could do a little bit more uh, to bring in better depth pieces. But at the same time, you have a player like Roy Miller, Lawrence Olam, who, who's come in and um, they've played more than you would want your depth pieces to play. But overall, they have done well. Um I think this team has enough talent to be one of the better teams in MLS, even though they haven't shown it. And so from a scouting perspective, I think Wilkinson has done a pretty good job of putting together a group of talented players that should get the job done. Um, It's on those players and to some degree on Porter that that hasn't happened. And and obviously you add an injury suspensions, call-ups to that. Um, Obviously you can predict call-ups, but some of those things are hard, uh, hard to predict and hard to plan for, especially in a salary cap league. 10 out of 10 answer would listen again. Uh, Steve, is it possible that as amazing a person as Diego Valeri is, he really isn't that great of an on-field captain? What do you think? I I remember talking to Diego Valeri a few years back about um, this is before he was, you know, wearing the captain's armband about the possibility of being captain. And it wasn't something he was really gunning for. It didn't sound like it was something he necessarily wanted at that time. I I think he considered himself more of the quiet leader. And I think he's taken on that role. And obviously the player he is, he has to be a leader on this team. And I think he is, but I do see him a little bit more as a quiet leader. I, I, I do think 
that a player like Ridgewell, um, there's a reason why Caleb Porter keeps going back to him as captain. I, I think he brings a little bit more of that fire and the not he's not the quiet leader type. He's an on-field leader that's going to tell players what to do and, and what they need to where they need to go in certain moments. Um, I, I don't think Diego Valeri is a bad leader. Um, I absolutely think he's a great leader in this locker room and probably in training. And he has probably a guy that a lot of players on the team can look up to and learn from. Um, and I don't think he's a bad on-field captain, but I, I do think there's probably a little bit missing um, from what you want out of your captain. He, he's not a Will Johnson type. He, he's not really a Jack Jewsbury type. He, he's not really um, a Liam Ridgewell type. I, I think he's much more of the quiet kind of leader. Um that you wouldn't necessarily have wearing the armband on the field. And I don't think he would be wearing it if Ridgewell was there. Uh, I have learned that when you have a shooter who is shooting to just keep letting them shoot once again on fire, Jamie Goldberg, outstanding answer. Uh, so I'm just going to, I'm just going to throw you another one. Uh, question from Dan. How do you rate Laris Mabiala's performance thus far? I think it's hard to read too much into um, the performances so far. I thought RSL was a tough game for pretty much the entire back line. And it was a really tough game for him to get thrown into um, with all the absences and injuries and then the red cards and just kind of how the team fell apart. Um, So I I didn't think he particularly stood out in the RSL game. um, But I also think that that game was almost a throwaway game when you're trying to evaluate a new player playing for the first time. I thought he was pretty good um, in Vancouver. I, I was impressed with his performance. I thought the back line overall was sharp, and, and I thought he was a good leader back there and, and was an important piece of that. Um, but I just can't read too much into those two performances, particularly since the first one is, I just think, a very difficult one to read into. I, I think he needs to build more of a body of work over time. Um, but I, I guess my takeaway after Vancouver is that, yeah, uh, this is promising. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he does, but I, I, I have, I'm optimistic, uh, about how he's going to be for the Timbers back there. The one sort of, uh, only exception to that is he did lose track of Tim Parker, mm-hmm. uh, on the white caps, one, one, one goal. So that was the, the one, uh, sort of, sort of negative mark. Uh, but generally I agree. I, I thought the back line was, was in general, pretty sharp. Uh, especially with the Whitecaps looking to play in behind as much as they were. Uh, I thought they, you know, they, they, they let that become dangerous a couple times, but by and large, the Whitecaps, uh, the, the, the Whitecaps chances were coming from set pieces. They were coming from, you know, I mean, when they were just kind of dumping balls into the box uh, and, and when that's the only sort of consistent way on the road that you're conceding chances, I think in general, uh, you've got to be pretty pleased with, with how things, things are going. So, yeah, I mean, you know, there's not nearly enough of a sample size to draw anything close to even near uh, any sort of firm conclusion. But, uh, you know, from that one game, I would say early signs. Yeah. Okay. Solid. Um, Tyson, do Alvis Powell's performances for Jamaica for the reggae boys who are now in the gold cup final. Put him back in the 11 when he returns to the Timbers. I think Alvis Powell's had a good Gold Cup, uh, as has Darren Maddox. Um, I don't think he earns his spot back in the 11 immediately. I think he has to prove it, at least in training. The Timbers have to see what he was doing at the Gold Cup and see that he's brought a new mentality, uh, um, is performing better in training and beating Zarek Valentin out. I, I don't think the Timbers just give away Valentin's spot when he's over well, uh, been pretty good at that position, especially when Powell has been 
so inconsistent back there. Um, I think he has the opportunity and the Timbers absolutely want to give him the opportunity to earn that spot back. But I don't think it's he gets back and immediately is going to be back in the starting lineup. I agree. I think he's sort of lost the benefit of incumbency uh, in doing so. But look, I mean, you know, we he is a guy that, that sort of has when he has the opportunity to, to step away from the Timbers for a little while, uh, as he did in Sacramento a few years ago, to sort of reset uh, and, and to re-motivate, he has come back into the Timbers in better form than he left. And, and, and so I think certainly the Timbers are hoping that's the case uh, here, that the stepping away from the team, being with Jamaica, having an overall successful run in the Gold Cup uh, is exactly what he needed to sort of put things back together uh, in, in his club form. And so uh, I, I think you can be hopeful uh, that that's going to be the case, but I certainly don't think that he comes and steps right back in uh, because I, I just don't think he has that benefit of incumbency anymore. I, I don't think it's his spot. I wouldn't necessarily say that, that, that Valentin, who by and large has been solid, uh, has you know necessarily grabbed that spot by the horns either. I, I, I think he's been solid, but not spectacular by any means. So certainly that door is open for Powell, uh, but I think he now has to go through it. it it's not just an expectation that he's going to step right back into the team. Okay, Thorns, uh, two wins since we last spoke. Uh, the first was a 1-0 win uh, over, uh, o- o- over the North Carolina Courage. That was a Haley Rosso goal uh, the, that got the Thorns uh, that win. Our predictions, I called 1-0, but I said it was going to be uh, Lindsey Horan from Alley Long. Uh, so I got the result. I did not get the side bet. You called a 2-2 draw uh, with an Alley Long goal. I think it's fair to say zero points for you. How many points, though? Do you want to give me? I think this was like my third Thorns result in a row that I got. That record ended later. <laughs> but for now, I will bask. Um, I will give you 18 points for getting the win right. and the result, um, the, the right scoreline. Um, but not really your side bat at all, so. Yeah, not the side bet at all. And frankly, it wasn't like a super high degree of difficulty either. So uh, I, I think that that is... Uh, even though I was on the money with both the score and the result, I think that's a, a pretty fair sort of moderate number of points. Uh, let's go on and talk about the the the, the spirit game and, and and the courage game together because they do raise some similar issues. Uh, Thorns two, spirit one. Uh, those were the winner came from uh, the first goal uh, as a thorn for Mallory Weber. Uh, the spirit opened the scoring, but the Thorns pulled one back quickly and then ultimately did find that that winning goal. Your prediction was a 2-0 win for the Thorns with a Christine Sinclair brace. I called a 3-0 win for the Thorns with the Haley Rosso brace and a goal celebration that rubbed it in the face of uh, Jim Cavara a little bit. Um, I'm going to go ahead and and I'm going to give you uh, 14.32 points uh, for for getting the win right and being not super far off, only the the one spirit goal uh, away from being on the money with the score. Uh, you know, and I'll go ahead and give myself like, I don't know, 5.17 points, uh, for getting the win, but really not a whole lot else about the character or the side bet in the game. Do you think that's a, that's sort of a fair accounting, uh, of the thorns, uh, versus spirit scores? Sure. Yeah. I think that's no objection. Excellent. So the, the, the one return that we had from the injury list, and this was a long-term injury, uh, Catherine Reynolds stepped back into the team uh, for the Thorns. She was playing as a right center back. Uh, what did you think about her return, and, and, and how do you think that's going to play uh, going forward? Is her spot at right back? Is it going to be uh, as a backup center back? What, what is your prediction there? 
I, I think that it's it's likely that Catherine Reynolds is going to be in the starting lineup moving forward. I think it was big to have her back. Um, I expect her to be mostly in the right back position. Um, the formation obviously is going to matter in that, but I do think that's generally the role that I would expect the Thorns to use her in. So this does sort of just talk about get into our next question. So let's go ahead and and, and talk about it. A uh, little bit of a surprise against the Courage, and then it, w- it was reprised against uh, the Spirit. Uh, but the Thorns went to five at the back uh, a- a- against the, the Courage to start. Uh, that helped them get the 1-0 result. They did it again uh, for about the first 60, 65 minutes or so uh, against the Spirit, really until about the Spirit got the goal uh, to go up 1-0, and then, and then the Thorns went to four at the back. Sort of one and two-thirds or one and three-quarters games in, what do you think about this five-back look? Do you think it's something that we're going to see the Thorns do uh, a lot going forward, or do you think it's really just been dictated by personnel? Yeah, I, I think maybe it's just mostly been dictated by personnel. When you when you look at the absences they've had, I obviously I think they were pretty effective against Carolina, but I, I thought they looked better after Washington scored the goal um, in this most recent game, and they kind of switched up the formation. Um, I, I don't see it as the long-term answer for them, especially as a team that should um, be a strong, a primarily attacking team. Um, and I just think that they've had struggled a little bit in the formation. I, I don't think it's been as effective as you want it to be. Obviously, it takes time to get used to that, but but I think it does have to do a little bit more with personnel. And since that's going to be changing coming going forward, and since they haven't looked all that comfortable in it, um, yeah, I, I'd be surprised if we see that too often from them. Um, but we'll see, uh, we'll, we'll see what they use going forward. The challenge in it. And I think we saw this a lot early on, especially in the spirit game is that they've been very inconsistent and, and this has been the case in, in, in both the games, but they were very inconsistent in their ability to get the wing backs forward into the attack. Uh, and when you're playing in sort of a 5-2-3 or a 5-3-2, I, I think you can sort of debate as to how that was really set up uh, and, and in, in the course of those two games. But regardless, if, if you're going to play that way, you need to get your wingbacks pretty consistently into the attack. Otherwise, you're just going to be so narrow and so pinchable uh, that it, it's going to be hard to hold the ball. I, I thought you saw a ton of this early on against the Spirit in a first half in which the Thorns, frankly, just didn't look good. Uh, and I thought it, would be, it was because they were just getting drawn in and they were just really, really getting squeezed uh, by a spirit team that just wanted to clog the middle. Uh, and when they weren't able to get Ashley Sykes on the right uh, and Megan Klingenberg on, on the left into the attack uh, with regularity, uh, there was really no counterpoint to, to allow the Thorns to, to find a release valve uh, and to open up those spaces. I totally agree with you that this looked a lot better. Uh, once they went into, into four at the back, they, they moved Sykes up into midfield. Uh, I, I thought they had a lot more width coming from that spot. They started to figure out the five-back stuff in the second half a little bit, in fairness, as they did, frankly, against the Courage when, when they started to get a little bit more of that width. But, but I, I, I thought it was definitely a bit of a, a switch flipping when they went back to the four, uh, when they got Sykes into, mid, into the midfield, and then they just really started taking it to uh, a spirit team that that had certainly hung in the game until that point and looked, you know, certainly on even footing, at least with the Thorns, uh, to that point. And I thought from that point on, 
the Thorns just really took it to Washington and, and deserved uh, to come away with with the win uh, that they ultimately earned. As noted, it was Mal Weber's first Thorns goal. Uh, she's been around for a little while, and so and she's certainly seen minutes in sort of uh, the injury and the international call-ups uh, issues from both the last two years. Uh, so it was nice to see her get uh, sort of the reward in that first goal in the winter uh, as a reward for all the hard work she's put in. Uh, for the Thorns over the course of season plus now. Um, and yeah, so big win. The Thorns are now back up in third. Uh, first, let's hit the injury update before we get sort of to the larger question. Uh, I think the two big ones that are that are left, uh, and and we haven't talked about this in a couple weeks now, so we need to hit it now. Uh, Tobin Heath and, and Monashem, what are the updates uh, as far as those two go? Yeah, and I guess we can add Meg Morris to that as well, but I think she's probably in a similar boat to Tobin Heath. Um, Tobin Heath, Mark Parsons is aiming for playoffs. Um, So I think there's a chance she's not coming back this season at all. They are not going to bring her back unless that back is figured out. They want her to be 100%. As Mark Parsons put it, Tobin Heath is one of the best players in the world, and you don't want to bring her back uh, less than 100% and risk long-term injury. When you look just a few years back with the Thorns, Alex Morgan came back from injury too early. And I think that led to some degree um, with her injury problems over an extended period of time after that. And and so they don't want that to happen with Tobin Heath. So they're trying to really get this sorted out. And if that means she misses the entire season, um, she's going to miss the entire season. Uh, I sounds like there's the possibility if they're in playoffs in October, she'll be back. Um, but since that timeline's not even for sure on, on that, I, I think that's even probably going to be up in there. So we'll just have to see um, when they think she's 100%, she's going to play. But uh, there's not a specific timeline on it right now. And, and Parsons just kind of has thrown playoffs out there as, as kind of his hope. But that doesn't mean it's going to happen. In, in the case of Meg Morris, she's also on the um, 45 disabled 45 day disabled list as well. Um, she's coming back from, I, I believe, um, was a massive quad injury, um, last year. And I, that just wasn't healing properly. Similar thing where they shut her down and, and tried to go back to basics with it. So, um, I don't expect to see her for a while, if at all this season as well. Um, Shim, yes, she could be coming back sooner than that, but she has a concussion and Mark Preston said she suffered in training, uh, in a collision he said it wasn't a particularly hard collision. They were they were a bit surprised, um, but within a few minutes, it, it was clear that she wasn't uh, ready to keep playing, and they quickly got her off, got her through the concussion protocol, and he didn't put a timeline on it um, because it's unclear at the moment how long this concussion is going to take to heal, and uh, as we know, concussions are serious injuries, and, and you never know uh, how um, what the timeline on those are, how different people are going to heal from those, so... That's a worrisome one. Um, oftentimes you see players come back relatively quickly from concussions, but there's other circumstances where you don't and they're out much, much longer. So uh, that's one we'll have to continue to follow up on. So the, the, let's talk about the the sort of 10,000 foot question then. Uh, the Thorns are now back up in third. Uh, a couple of weeks ago when they checked in, they were in fifth and we were, and we were wondering sort of about what their playoff fortunes. Now they're in third. They're only three points out of first. They're only two points out of fifth. Uh, what do you think? I mean, in light of these two wins, do you, and and in light of the the road draw at Houston, the frankly is is I think it's fair to say looking better as we get more perspective. Uh, are the Thorns now rolling again? Is is this getting closer now to the team uh, that we expect them to be in? Now are they sort of back in the hunt 
uh, for the NWSL Shield, or do you think this is going to be a, a bit of a slog going forward still? I, I mean, they're still dealing with major absences. They will be for a while. I don't think that... I think the performance against Carolina was big. I, I think Washington w- was not as... Uh, like you said, uh, there was a lot of questions in it. They did a good job to come back, but it, it wasn't a dominant performance by any means. Um, they're definitely in the mix, even for Supporter Shield at this point. Carolina does have a game uh, in hand um, on the Thorns because uh, I believe their game over the weekend was postponed um, due to weather. Uh, So again, when you, when you look at numbers, you got to keep that in consideration for, for what it's worth. Um, But the Thorns have a chance now to have another home game get another three points that it could put them even higher up in the standings. And they're not too far out of that supporter shield. If, If they can, win their next game and build off that going forward. They're, they're going to have two on the road after that. Um, that could be what it takes to get them back into the race. They have the talent. They will ultimately be getting players back from the European championships. I think there are still a lot of questions about what formation this team is using, whether they figured out exactly how they want to play, um, whether they can consistently um, be up to the level that I, I think fans expect out of the thorns. Um, but it's a really good sign to see the last two weeks and, and where the results are going. And this may have been a turning point. We'll, we'll have to see how they continue. But um, at this point, you have to say the standings a lot across the board are very close, but the thorns are firmly back into this playoff race. And depending on how they want to close out the rest of the season, they're either going to be fighting to make the playoffs or, or they could potentially uh, be fighting for that supporter shield. You know, I think this is going to be a a dogfight basically from here until the finish. And the the reason I say that is, I mean, look, you look at the two teams uh, above the Thorns, uh, uh, above the Thorns in the standings, Chicago and and North Carolina. And I don't think you would get much pushback if you just said those have been the the two best teams in NWSL to this point in, in, in the season. You look at the two teams below the Thorns. You've got the the Seattle Rain uh, and, and Sky Blue, and then Sam Kerr for Sky Blue and Megan Rapino uh, for for Seattle. I think you've got unequivocally the two best players uh, who have had the the two most dominant seasons uh, of anybody in an NWSL thus far. And the, and the Thorns probably uh, lie somewhere between the between the two. I mean, they're certainly uh, they're not getting sort of a dominant. Uh, kind of performance from I- I- any single player through the course of the season, but nonetheless, I mean, the sum of their parts has been uh, has been close to certainly that that level that North Carolina and Chicago have been at, even if the consistency hasn't quite been there. So, I mean, I, I you know, I, I think the Thorns are certainly uh, getting some big results right now. I think the results, frankly, that they, that they sort of have to. I mean, in many ways, kind of like the Timbers going up to Vancouver, not as extreme, but. You, you don't really care how they look because they have all the absences, because they have the injuries, the, the call-ups. You just want to see them get the results, and they have shown the ability to grind out those results when they're not uh, at, at 100%. And that's going to be really important going forward. Because, look, I, I mean, it, it's a cliche to say, boy, every point is going to matter. But as I said, they're two points out of fifth. They're two points out of not making the playoffs at all. And they're three points uh, out of being in the, in the driver's seat for the NWSL Shield. I, I mean, this is literally the the kind of place where one week's results absolutely could be the difference between being in the playoffs and, and having the number one seed. Uh, and so, I mean, you look sort of at the the table as it goes down, and I just think that top five 
uh, is going to be brutal. And, and one of those teams is going to be left out. I think, you know, in light of the the, the fact that, that Sky Blue has played 16, sitting on 23, they're sort of the odd team out right now. But again, one week can completely change that. And so uh, I think this is going to be both a grind for the Thorns as they continue to deal with these absences. But I also think it's going to be a heck of a fun finish in NWSL as a whole. Uh, Thorne's question. We've got one from Michael uh, who wants to know what's wrong with pancakes for breakfast. Uh, this comes from an interview that Lindsay, that, excuse me, Amandine Henri did uh, as she was away for the Euros uh, where she said she likes living in Portland. Uh, she is coming up on the, on the end of her contract this year, but she doesn't like pancakes for breakfast. And, and so Michael wants to know what's the deal with that. And I guess we'll take it into the substantive element, which is, how concerned should we be about Henri coming up against the end of her contract at the end of the season? Should we and should we be as a core as in combining those two? Should we be setting up a system in which everybody's taking Henri to non-pancake brunch places every weekend to show her that there's uh, better food in Portland than just pancakes? Yeah, uh, I definitely think um, she needs. We'll start with the pancakes just because I want to answer it. Um, I, I definitely think she needs her teammates to be taking her to better places. I, a few years back, I, I was under the impression that Jamon Hawthorne was uh, the go-to for some of the girls on the the Thorns. Um, maybe not. Maybe maybe those are some of the retired ones at this point. But she has to be going to places like that. She has to um, be testing out the Portland brunch scene because there's a lot out there that's not pancakes. Um, although. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with pancakes, probably not before you play a soccer game. Um, but as we also remember, Alvis Powell and Nat Borchers uh, were... Pancakes with Nat. That's pancakes right. with Nat. So it, it, it is by far the most influential breakfast food in like sort of Portland soccer history. It, it, it definitely is. So yeah, there, there's a lot more out there. I, I really hope uh, her teammates can, can get her out to some of the brunch scene. Um, maybe just save the pancakes for uh, definitely not game days. <laughs> Um, at least not afternoon game days, maybe, maybe night game days. Um, yeah, I, in terms of the substantive aspect of that, I I think there's a little concern to have about that. I I think that she enjoys playing here. I I think that a a lot of, um, women's soccer players from around the world consider Portland the best place to play because of the atmosphere. That's an atmosphere you're not going to get in other situations. And uh, I think the NWSL offers a competitiveness that you're not going to get in France. Um, game in, game out, you're playing against teams that are competitive uh, with you. That's not something you get in France where there's really, I, I think, two teams um, that are on the same level and a lot of teams that are, are not, not simply not as good. Um, of, of course, she is from France. Uh, there might be an inclination to want to go back there because of that. Um, so it is a question mark. It's going to be what she wants. Uh, but I, I think she has a role in Portland. I, I think the Thorns will want to bring her back. And I think Portland overall is a desirable place for women's soccer players to play. I, I absolutely think the Thorns will want to bring her back. I mean, you, you look at the strength of this team over the course of the last year plus since, since she's been here. And it has been that central mid, midfield of which she's been uh, an absolute anchor. So, uh, Yeah. Do I mean pull out all the stops? Do whatever is necessary to get Henri back. It would be disappointing, frankly, to see her be here for a year and a half, uh, and then you know, sort of like Vero did before, uh, and, and and sort of leave not to come back. That would be, uh, I think, a real disappointment. She's been absolutely big value added for the team, uh, and I think if you do keep that that central midfield together uh, for another few years, you would be expecting the Thorns to certainly be in a position in which they would be contending for the next few years, and so. 
uh, it is certainly worth putting in sort of the brunch brigade, uh, making sure that that, that Henri knows uh, that, that that there are there is a whole world out there beyond pancakes. What's your favorite brunch spot in, in Portland? If if you had to call one. What is your favorite? Well, I, I don't think this really helps. The I mean, it's not pancakes, but I, I like... You're like Elmer's Pancake No, house. <laughs> I like Screen Door, but that's totally a waffle and chicken place. So you're getting like... If, if you're talking about just like way too much food, Very rich. that, that yeah, yeah. definitely fits into that category. But Screen Door is my favorite. I don't know if I'd want to eat there every single day um, because of how uh, how heavy it is. I like Jam and Hawthorne. The portions are absurd, but the, the food... It is really good. And I also just like um, just some of the baker, like going up to Coquine um, when it's a coffee shop during the day, or, or I think it's called Tabor, Tabor Bread, um, when I want something a little bit lighter, but still want to get out of the house and get uh, something nice for lunch. Those are those are some nice shops I like to stop by. I'm, I'm an east side I- person. I'm a, I'm a West Side guy on the other hand. So uh, I, I, I mean, I agree with you about Screen Door. It is objectively outstanding. Uh, and so, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to knock that. If I have, have to choose one brunch place to go, that is my place. And usually the way I do it is I show up at like 840 and just get in line for that first seating at 9 o'clock. Uh, if you're willing to get up early, that definitely saves the line standing. Uh, it, it's a good way to gain the system. Um, I, I have, a, I have a, a, a soft spot, though, for, my, for ne- one of my neighborhood spots. That's Nell Cafe. Uh, just right northwest, uh, right around where I, where I live. Uh, I like it, it's not that it's like objectively, uh, you know, on the level of, of someplace like Screen Door, but it's good. Uh, and uh, it is, you know, it, it's a neighborhood spot. Also, I mean, sort of, sort of the Portland institution. I haven't been there since it's moved, which has been long enough that it's kind of a crime. But I loved, loved yeah. Bisaws in the old place. Uh, that that was uh, a real loss. Although it, the the new place uh, over by New Seasons there uh, on what is it Raleigh and 20 something yeah. think about 21st and raleigh um does look like a like like it's a it's a pretty strong setup yeah that's a nice little area now with breakside and we, we could be we could be like the portland food uh food and drink uh podcast probably not but yeah that's a nice little spot <laughs> over there with Vsauce breakside and um i think a few other bars over there i haven't gone into them but it looks like a nice little setup over by the new new seasons yeah, that breakside that breakside setup over there is really nice too because they're also brewing different beers yeah. than they have over at the Decom location. I love the Decom location and I really like uh, the outdoor setup that they have over in in Northeast there. But uh, I, I like a lot of the beers that they're doing out in the Northwest spot. Uh, I like the outside a little bit more than the inside. The inside's a little bit you know like modern high maintenance for me, uh, which is not usually my jam. I, I'm, I'm a little bit of a lower key dude, but uh, the food is solid uh, and and. The breakside, breakside is just a very, very strong urban brewery, uh, and and to to my money still has the best available every day of the year, three hundred sixty five days uh, IPA in the city of Portland. Um, okay, that was fun. Oh, that was good. A little a little food interlude before we get to the predictions. Let's get to the predictions. The Thorns are off for the international break this week, uh, so all we have are Timbers at Dynamo. Jamie Goldberg, you're up. Yeah, I think this is going to be a tough one for the Timbers. I am going to say that they're going to build off the Vancouver performance, put in, put in a pretty good performance, um, but it, it's going to be too much. They're still going to have absences. It's going to be a good Houston team in, in a tough place to play in terrible weather. Uh, some key guys probably not available to start after coming off the Gold Cup. Uh, Houston's going to pull away with this one. It's going to be just a 2-1 win uh, for Houston. It is going to be close. Um Audie's going to score. Uh, he, he's going to come back in the lineup and say, hey, 
this is my spot and this is why. So he's going to get the goal. So Adi with the goal, you're calling the 2-1 loss. I too think it's going to be a loss. I think it'll be a little bit more. Frankly, I think if it was a 2-1 sort of close game, there'd be the disappointment of, ah, that could have been closer. You know, that, that could have been a result. Uh, but I think the Timbers overall would probably be not terribly disappointed with that kind of performance. I think it's even going to be tough to do that, though. I think it's going to be a 3-1 Dynamo win. Uh, I mean, this is this is the most prohibitive uh, road trip in MLS. So this isn't even necessarily uh, a, a, a super cynical take on, on where the Timbers are. I just think going to Houston in July is about as tough a draw as there is out there. I mean, I, I, I think it's sort of on par with some of the CONCACAF trips. And so uh, I'm going to go 3-1 Dynamo. Uh, but just for funsies, I'm going to say Victor Arboleda is going to get his first MLS goal because, hey, we've been doing that recently. So, um, yeah. Uh, congratulations, by the way, to Jeremy Obobese. That That is a, a, a legitimately sort of like fun accomplishment for him. Uh, and so I'm glad to see that he got to enjoy it in a win. Uh, fantasy update. Uh, third place, we've got Beer City FC. That's Benjamin with 1,907 points. Uh, second place is Timbers Beast, that's Fargo with 1921. And the top spot uh, with a nice little gap uh, is Big Hearts Brass Balls Aaron with 1958. Uh, I didn't think I had a great week uh, on, on on the board, but uh, ultimately it got put together. I am up to 24th, uh, moved up one spot right above Footy Cat FC, my friend Dan, uh, which I will make sure to get a little bit of bragging in as I just did here on the podcast. Jamie Goldberg, though. Uh, you didn't move up at all, but you didn't move down this week, which is nice. Uh, you are still in last place because you don't play. We're Soccer Man in Portland. This has been a long show, but we've got a lot of ground covered, so I think we moved through fairly efficiently. Uh, you can find us every week, not always this efficiently, uh, on, on Stumptown Footy and also on OregonLive.com. You can subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. Enjoy the Timbers against the Dynamo. Enjoy. Uh, what is the, the, the women's national team? The, the, these tournaments always change. It's like the Tournament, tournament of Nations. Tournament of Nations, now, or, yeah. Yeah, the Tournament of Nations. It sounds very exciting. It's not that exciting. Uh, but nonetheless, enjoy it. Uh, over the course of the break, we will be back to talk about the Timbers trip to the Dynamo at all uh, next week. And until then, enjoy the soccer. Thank you for your questions and your listenership as always. And until next week, take care. <laughs>